edition for the YZFTX podcast. This is your host, Ezra Siddiqui. As a reminder, YZFTX is my platform to inform the South Asian community about Texas and national politics. You can find us on all forms of social media, such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check out our website, www.yzftx.com. And last but not least, you can hear our segments on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and on Radio Azad on Coffee Mornings with Aisha on Monday mornings. Remember, everyone, let's get educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. All right, everybody, I have another inspirational female interview uh, for y'all today as we close out Women's History Month. It is with Pabitra Benjamin. Uh, she is the executive director of Adhikar, which is an organization um, that's committed to improving the lives of the Nepali-speaking community and getting their voices heard in the social justice movement. But before we get to the interview, I want to talk a little bit about the news that's happening. On the national level, uh, we see Beto O'Rourke kicked his official campaign rally in El Paso on Saturday. Pete Buttigieg, who is the mayor from Fort Bend, Indiana, is rising up in popularity in the Democratic uh, presidential candidate, candidate race. And... Uh, Joe Biden still hasn't entered the race. With regards to Texas politics, HB1, which is the budget bill, has passed in the Texas House. It had over 300 amendments to it. Uh, took over 12 hours to debate it. It will now go to the Texas Senate for a debate. HB2, which is a bill about capping the rate of property taxes, um, it has passed out of committee and should be heading to the House floor soon for a debate. And and with regards to city politics, uh, May 4th is coming up. And uh, if you're a big Star Wars fan, we're going to change it up to May the Vote Be With You instead of May the Force Be With You. And what that means is there are local elections uh, for city council. Early voting will begin April 22nd and will end on April 30th. There are several South Asian candidates running for city council positions, both in the Dallas-Fort Worth and Houston metroplexes. So I hope you all are registered to vote and We'll make sure to get out and vote during early voting or on May 4th. Don't worry, we will have voter info on the Wise Up TX page as Election Day gets closer. Don't forget, you can um, post your photos and use our hashtag WiseUpAndVote, and we'll be posting them on our social media as well. Finally, we have another newsletter coming out uh, this Wednesday, so don't forget to sign up on our website, WiseUpTX.com, if you would like to get access to our newsletter. Let's pivot on over to our interview with Pabitra Benjamin, um, the executive director of Adhikar. Again, uh, Adhikar embraces a social justice vision bound in dignity and equality for all. With Nepali voices at the center, they actively prioritize leadership of marginalized groups, including women and youth within the Nepali-speaking community. Pabitra's life and work are rooted in community. She immigrated to the U.S. when she was seven with her parents. She has lived in Nepal and in various states all over the U.S. since then. She grew up in a working-class household with her passions for community organizing growing out of this experience. During her career, she served in leading organizing efforts, most recently with Amnesty International USA, as their field director and interim campaign manager for gun violence and criminal justice. Her journey has included lead staff positions with networks and grassroots organizations, including the National Queer Asian Pacific Islander Alliance and the Rights Working Group.
Thank you so much for joining us today, Pavitra. You're welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. So, you are, I believe, the executive director of Adhikar, correct? Yes, I'm the executive director of Adhikar. I've been there for two years now as the executive director. That's great. And so, what exactly does this organization do? Yeah, Adhikar is a community center and a worker center um, that provides services, education, organizes, and advocates for the Nepali-speaking community, um, and mostly in New York, though recently we've been expanding our reach, um, and our main concentrations are on healthcare, language justice, workers' rights, and immigration. Not in that order, but of all those things. I think, you know, we've primarily grown to be a worker center, and a majority of the population that we serve are workers, whether they're domestic workers, nail salon workers, gas station workers, but often workers that are in informal industries uh, and folks that are often from lower income backgrounds. Um, and so our issues, when we look at workers, we're looking at workers as whole individuals. So that means we have to work on an array of issues such as language justice, healthcare, and immigration, not just workers' rights. All right, and do you feel that some of the issues that you're working on are more um, focused towards women or just generally yeah. for the population, like both male and female? Yeah, well, we are a women-led organization. All of our board members and our staff are women. Um, we. Uh, really consciously developed into an organization that wanted to challenge the patriarchy that's not just per permeates American society, but also Nepali-speaking cultures, right? Okay. And so we know that there are a lot of Nepali cultural organizations out there and associations and political leaders, but we wanted to change it up. We wanted to really make sure that there was a different approach in how we built the organization. And we thought that one of the main ways to do that was having it be women-led. Our founders were all women, immigrant women of color, um, and also the predominant communities that I would say we organize and serve are women, folks that are in nail salon industries, domestic workers. But we also have a lot of men uh, okay. that come through the program that, uh, you know, get served. I would say it's probably, a, you know, a good more than half of the people that receive support around healthcare, for example, from us are men, right? Right. Uh, we have gas station workers that are men that we have major cases that we're working on with them. And I think with the temporary protection status, uh, temporary protected status, TPS work that we've been doing, um, that we really have galvanized also more men and also folks from other industries that are not necessarily uh, the industries we predominantly serve. So folks that are in the tech industry, mm -hmm. folks uh, 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 that are doing more uh, business-related work that are organizing with us now as well. All right, and when you're talking about this organization that is catering predominantly to lower income levels, um, you know, such as I said, those that work in maybe gas stations and nail salons, do you feel that there are issues of South Asian Americans mistreating other South Asian Americans and if so, what are some of those examples? And what yeah. is it, how your organization tries to, you know, combat these issues? Yeah, well, I think that it would help to uh, talk 
talk a little bit about our history, and then I'll get to your question. Okay. Um, we we started in 2005, and uh, our uh, our founding executive director, Luna Ranjit, uh, um, were had been working at an organization in uh, Jackson Heights, Queens, that served the broader South Asian community, and I think. You know, she started to talk to some of her friends that were also organizing and uh, that were immigrant women. And they started to just realize that there was a growing Nepali-speaking community in the Jackson Heights area, and mm-hmm. not just Jackson Heights, but that area in Queens. And a lot of them were workers, right? Okay. And a lot of them were working at uh, places owned by other South Asians. Um, and that they, when they started to talk to people, there were a lot of injustices around wage theft, uh, around workers' abuse, um, and... Uh, also, within the Nepali community, uh, a lot of immigration fraud. Um, and so they did a survey of the community in 2005. We actually have the report online. Um, and it talks about some of those abuses and injustices that the Nepali-speaking workers faced. And so it also talks about the need for um, uh, for services and support, spe- specifically in Nepali, um, such as uh especially women, but folks needing to learn English, to learn to na- to navigate New York City, <coughs> excuse me, to learn to navigate New York City. And so we started to build programs like English for Empowerment classes. We didn't call it ESL, but English for Empowerment, and really directed it at folks and workers that uh, needed to learn how to get around the city, right? Um, there were all sorts of services provided, as well as legal support provided, like taking on wage theft cases. And I think I started with $500 in a basement, you know, and volunteer staff and has grown now to uh, be 11 staff, um, almost a million dollar organization um, that provides a lot of different services, as well as, again, organizes and advocates for the community. That's so impressive. In question, yeah. So in your question about, you know, um, about uh, Nepali workers, especially folks that work at gas stations, domestic workers um, that work for other South Asians. I think that's a dominant case. You know, we could say maybe even 80 percent of uh, Nepali folks that are new immigrants that first come here are often uh, working for other South Asians. And that's because their English capacity may not be where it needs to be to get other jobs. Mm-hmm. A lot of Nepalis know Hindi, right? Right. Um, and uh, so they're able to work for Indians. They're able to work for other Nepalis that may be more established and have shops and whatever it may be. And so there is a, a natural flow of that that happens, I think, in the community, not just in Jackson Heights, but all around the country. Right. I remember when we first came to the uh, United States, I was seven years old, and this was in 1988 or 1987. Um, uh, my mom, uh, you know, was uh, worked at in Nepal Airlines. Um, and so she had, you know, waitressing skills, because as air hostess, those are the skills you have. And most of the jobs that she could find at the time with limited English was at restaurants that were owned by Indians, right? Right. Um, and even my mom at that time used to uh, work under the table, and um, I, re- I know still today she'll talk about how she the, the workers basically, I mean the owners basically gave her like twenty dollars a day, right, for probably five hours, ten hours work. Yeah, she's in the eighties, but still twenty dollars. Yeah, that's lot, nothing. Right? Yeah, um, and I think these cases happen now to date all the time. So we're looking at 
folks that come and work and become busboys at, at restaurants uh-huh. um, or people that go and work at gas stations or folks that are cleaning people's homes or watching their kids. Um, we know that the skill set levels may be things that people don't automatically come with to the United States, uh, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that uh, they, that those workers and people should be abused, right? And so right. we are seeing uh, a massive, and that, you know, we'd say, we, we, it was really hard to do a percentage because we've never done a study of it, uh-huh. but we would say, you know, at least 30% of those workers have some sort of, uh, have in some way been abused, whether um, it be through their wages being stolen or they, they're even being trafficked into this country and not being allowed to leave the house, uh, not being given time off, uh, working around the clock. Um, there's a lot of different cases we've taken on as Adhikar, uh, but also uh, heard that really dominates um, uh, the, the community um, in, in terms of especially new immigrants again. And do you think these types of situations occur of, you know, other South Asians taking advantage, these workers, because they're unable to speak limited English, so they're unaware of their rights, they are maybe don't have proper immigration status, and they just generally have a fear, right? Like, they're just wanting to survive, so they're just taking whatever they can get, but it's not legal, it's not proper, and more than anything, it's just immoral, right? Yeah. Do you think- yeah, I think, I think that is very, um, a lot of the new immigrants will not know, A, their rights, right, in the United States, that actually we have very different laws than, um, in Nepal and India, or uh, ways in which laws can be enforced that they may not be enforced in Nepal and India, even if it's not very different laws. Um, and I think that folks just, just generally, A, don't know that, which is why we do a lot of know your rights trainings for workers in terms of what is their right, even as undocumented people, because undocumented people are not exempt from rights, right? They right. have rights uh, to worker workers' rights. They have wage rights. They have uh, sick day rights. They have all the rights, um, especially in a city like New York. Uh, you know, by city by city, things are going to vary. State by state, things are going to vary. Um, but there's some basic national rights and then there's some basic city rights. So for us, it's really important we do those Know Your Rights sessions and the empowerment that people receive after doing that saying, oh, I didn't know this. This is my right, you know. Right. Um, that's one part of it, right? And then the other part of it, I think, is that, uh, yeah, folks don't speak uh, English, right? So how are they going to report uh, to a hotline or to a, a, a city division or the government um, that their rights are being abused. So that's another thing we help with is that we provide a lot of interpretation, even when the city like New York, which is uh, language accessible more than a lot of other cities, right. even the interpretation hotlines aren't doing an adequate job, right? So a lot of our staff time will be spent to reporting cases, helping people through the court system. The legal system is not easy to navigate. No. It costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it also allows for um, abuse from lawyers, right? We have a lot of lawyers that then abuse the system to uh, to take money from the community. This mostly happens around immigration, uh, but it, it happens, right? Right. And so I think we're often helping find pro bono lawyers and nonprofits that are oriented at helping workers to take on these cases. And some of these cases last years, right? Oh yeah. We've had we had a case uh, uh, of a uh, of a woman that was brought over by a, a diplomat um, and basically um, forced to live in, 
in in I would almost say like slave like conditions in that she was never allowed to leave the house. She wasn't ever given any time off. She wasn't allowed to make phone calls,、oh, um, wow. and she was basically a cap, you know, captive in this house. And she didn't, and she just thought this is what she signed up for, right? And at some point, her mental and health started to deteriorate,、uh-huh. and we found out about her, and we went to help. Find her、uh, and rescue her, and she's a survivor, right? And we have、right. uh, over seventeen traffic survivors, most of whom are traffic survivors of Indian diplomats, right? Oh my god!、Um, uh, others as well, but mostly Indian diplomats. And so we have these cases of extreme violence, I would say. Um, that is not seen as as trafficking, or that is not seen all. Even though it is technically trafficking,、mm-hmm. is not seen that way. And we've、uh, taken on these cases and bought the Indian government, which has basically protected its own, right? Right.、Um, and we even in、uh, in one of these cases where the Indian diplomat was actually found guilty in the United States, they ran away, and the Indian government has been protecting them to date. And so I think that there's other, you know, there are. Such violations as traffic violations, but then there's everyday violations、mm-hmm. that happens at shops around towns, right? Right.、Um, maybe not somebody so as simple as oh, it's busy, so you can't take your lunch break, you know, or you can't take a break. And you people, it's not legal for folks to force people to work eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours, fourteen hours straight, right? And right. And people don't know that, but even when people know that, it's hard to、uh, say this is my right, right? Because as you said earlier. There are a lot of times that folks may have overstayed a visa and they're undocumented, right? Right. And they don't want to be caught by immigration. And especially after Trump came into power, we were hearing a lot more stories of、um, uh, of, of employee employers that were basically saying, "If you make a complaint, I'm going to call Immigration and Customs Enforcement." And that's scary,、uh, right? Yeah, that especially is. Especially if you have nothing to go back to at home. So I think there are. So many cases, countless cases, where this is happening, and many where we're not even hearing about it, right? So, of course,、uh, again, we're most we're based in New York City. We get calls from all around the country,、uh, but we don't have the capacity. A、um, million dollars honestly doesn't go very far, right?、Mm-hmm. I think if you think about staff wages and support and events and rent, like. That only allows me to have like ten to eleven staff, right? Right. And、uh, we we could be an organization that has fifty staff and still not serve the needs of the community, and or not not be able to serve all the needs of the community, rather. And that's really unfortunate because I think this work is so badly needed. I mean, I think we hear a lot of these stories. Impacting more so the Latino community, but we don't really think that it's impacting the South Asian community. So I'm so glad you came on. To our segment to highlight these issues that are impacting our community, and I wanted to end this interview and in asking you, like, go to like like some Pakistani Indian restaurants, right, to go have dinner, and I guess maybe I don't think about those people that are serving the food and、yeah. or those that are working in those grocery stores, right? It, it's just I'm just happy to have like my seek kebab or something, right?、Yeah. And I, I, and because of this conversation that we're having, I want to be more self-aware, right? I want to be like, okay, are these people being treated well? What are some signs that we can look for to ensure that there is good treatment? And if we feel that there isn't, what is it that we can do, you know, to make sure that? These workers are properly treated. They're not taken advantage of because I really firmly believe that change begins with us. So we can sit here and complain about the government all we want, but if we see injustices happening in front of us,
and we're not, we're silent, you know, we're also complicit. So yeah. as, as you know, a normal person that goes to a Pakistani Indian or Bengali restaurant and, and if we see something like, what is it that we can do and what are the signs to look for? Yeah, I think signs are hard, right? I often try to do this myself. Uh, but signs are hard uh, because I think that even if workers are being abused, they know that in front of the customer, they have to act their best, right? Right. Um, and so uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, there is a question of if you're leaving a tip, will the worker actually get it, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things I really try to do is give the workers the tip in front of their hand. Now, I, you know, I, I speak decent in Nepali where if I'm like at a threading shop or a restaurant, you know, I'll say, hey, like, can I give you a tip? And they'll be very honest, you know, and, and say, nah, it don't matter, you know, because yeah. I'm not going to get it. Or, um, But I think giving tips uh, to people in their hands is something that I often try to do. Um, but I also think that, uh, you know, it takes a little bit more work and trying to talk to workers outside of their job to see what's going on in the community, right? To see what's going on in their business. Um, because, yeah, people will take, and, you know, people, like I think you said this earlier, but people ask the question, well, they're being abused in their job. Why don't they just leave, right? Right. That's often people's responses. And it's like, but it's hard to find jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Also, you know, what they're, most people, as the rest of us, are thinking all the time is, how do I survive? How do I support my family? Right? So I'm going to deal with this because I don't know where else I can get a job. And I just need to take care of my child. Right? Right. I need to make sure they have clothes. I need to make sure they have food. I need to make sure they're getting an education. And so that's what's going on in the head. So people often live with a lot of abuse uh, to make sure that they survive and their families survive. And so, I, you know, I know you asked me the question of what are the signs. And I, 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 I honestly have a hard time unless I'm directly talking to people. But you, one also has to be cautious mm -hmm. as to not bring up the issues directly at the restaurant or the nail salon because the, the workers can then also get in trouble. They could even get fired, right? right. So I do think it takes a level of organizing and, and commitment to then try to find and talk to people in communities to see what is going on. Because also not every owner is going to be abusing their worker, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think that sometimes you can tell when you're at certain restaurants if, if waiters feel tense or you can see a manager looking at people really strictly or, you know, scolding yeah. people. And when you see that type of behavior, stop it. I think customers and consumers have a lot of power in the nail salon work that we do. We are trying to organize consumers because consumers can fight back and say, I'm not going to come to this shop unless you provide a living wage, unless you're giving $15 an hour, which is a living wage, unless you're making sure that these folks have sick days and vacation days and these things that uh, we all take for granted, uh -huh. um, you know, but really is our rights. Um, and so I, it does, like you said, it does start with the person. Uh, but I think the question of how to identify it can be a little bit more complicated. But I think that honestly, if folks who are listening are from the South Asian community and often from the upper middle class and upper class community, it's to start having these conversations at home, right? right. If you are a child of somebody who owns a business, 
don't don't get defensive, right? I think oftentimes one of the things that happens is, well, my my parents are small business owners and they came here and they started from uh, the ground and now they built themselves up and you're asking us to pay fifteen dollars an hour and I don't know how my parents' shop will survive and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, but then they're also the same ones that are you know fighting for progressive issues, right? Like exactly. I feel like there's definitely this. I don't know, this double-sided issue of, I've seen it very much within our South Asian community that are really for progressive issues, but when it comes to them, themselves, like needing to, you know, I'm a tax lawyer and I deal more with like sales tax issues, but when it comes to them paying sales tax properly or or collecting sales tax issues or those types of things, they'll find the loopholes for that. But then if they want like Medicare for all or all these other issues, and and I think that's fine. You know, I I probably am on more of the progressive um, end, but you also have to think of yourself, like what are you contributing to ensure that these types of policies can be implemented? You know what I mean? I think it's not to get defensive to talk to our parents who own things or think about the, our own practices, right, of what we do. And I think that we need to not be afraid to have those bold conversations in our families, in our communities, and in our temples and mosques, right? Right. Because a lot of people go to those spaces uh, uh, as to form community, but then we're not really thinking about the abuses that are happening within our own community. So I think that's where it starts. And Yes. I I completely agree with you, and I want to thank you so much for uh, doing this segment with us today. I think the information that you highlighted is so, so important for our community to hear about and hopefully can, you know, start working towards, you know, changing the way, you know, we even treat each other in America, right? Like, it's better for us to stick together instead of us trying to put each other down, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I I just want to add one thing. I I think that um, we can form solidarity, right? And I think one of the things that I think about in that solidarity is also the way in which we perpetuate uh, the discrimination from our own countries back here. So I think there's something kind of missed that I wanted to mention, which is some of the abuses that are happening are not just about uh, dynamics that are here, new immigrants, but it's a perpetuation of dynamics like that are coming from home. So, right. you, know, you know, a lot of times Nepalis and Indians have a dynamic where, you know, Nepalis will be like, oh, man, Indians are always going to, like, cheat us and this, this, and this, you know what I mean? And Indians always see Nepalis as, oh, those poor Vijari or, like, yeah. poor people, you know, oh, yeah, we have to give them work. And, yeah, it's okay that I'm paying them $5 an hour because they wouldn't have anything otherwise. And I think that that is uh, a de- demeaning. Yes. Um, and so we have to be able to challenge those own stereotypes we come with, but also then within cultures, uh, within uh, especially the Hindu context, there's caste, right? Right. And so within the caste system, I think there's a perpetuation of oh, those poor untouchables, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, the un, you know we're gonna treat uh, 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 untouchables or Dalit people the way that we do back at home. We're not gonna let them eat with us. They have to sit on the floor. You know they have to sit in a different area. We're not gonna let them be in the front of the store. Whatever it may be, um, or the way that Hindus treat Muslims. We're perpetuating all of that here within our little bubbles. And I think now is the time more than ever to challenge those things, right? Especially as we see the rise of white supremacy. I think with the rise of white supremacy, it's not just the rise of white supremacy. It's the rise of a dominant, um, uh, a dominant 
uh, structure that has always existed. So as we see the rise of white supremacy, we're seeing a rise of Hindu fundamentalism, not just in India, but in this country, right? And with that comes a lot of uh, uh, discrimination, violence, and ways in which we're, we're perpetuating bad cycles um, in this country, and, and, and you see that in, in workers' rights. I completely agree with you, and and I want to add that you know Wise Up Texas is for all South Asians, and one of the main reasons why I did that is my parents, for example, were born in India, but then they migrated. My father migrated to Pakistan. My mother ended up going to East Pakistan, which is now Bangladesh, and then after '71 left. And my husband's from Bangladesh, or first generation Bengali American. But at the end of the day, we have a lot more in common then we are different. And I think it's really unfortunate that you do see these issues of, you know, people perpetuating like, oh, this person is Bengali, so they're like this, or this person's Pakistani or Nepali or Sri Lankan, and they're like X, Y, and Z. And we don't need to bring that here. Like, we're all in it together. And at the end of the day, those thought processes that you had from, or maybe my parents' generation had from, you know, back from living in the South Asian subcontinent, they're not applicable here. We're all equal here. That is the whole premise of America is equality for all. And I'm not saying that it's perfect, but I find it very hypocritical when those within our own community are willing to put other people within our own community down and then still vouch for equality for all, but are unwilling to give it within our own community, which I find absolutely mind-boggling. So I'm glad you brought that up because... With Wise Up Texas, like, that is one of the biggest things that I really want to shoot for is, like, not just having, like, just a little subsect within the South Asian subcontinent. I want it to be for the entire South Asian subcontinent. So thank you so much for bringing up that very, very important point. You're welcome. And thanks again for joining us today. And if you wouldn't mind giving the website uh, for the organization so if people want to learn more about it, they can check it out and hopefully donate. Yep, that would be great. You can go to www.adhikar.org or uh, we do more updates on our Facebook. So you can look for Adhikar on Facebook and you'll get a regular update of the work that we're doing. We're also on Twitter and on Instagram. So please find us. Please do donate. Uh, If you want to send us a check so that we don't get the 5% deduction from the online systems, you can reach out to us. You can find that information on our website. We are always looking for individual contributions to be able to increase the efforts in organizing and services that we do. All right. Perfect. Thanks again, Pabitra. Great. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. All right, everyone, that's our segment for today. I hope you found the interview with Pabitra Benjamin to be inspirational about the work that she does with Adhikar. And I hope you all recognize the fact that there have been situations where South Asians have been detrimentally impacting other South Asian communities. And that's something that we need to you know, turn our attention to and recognize those those situations and start having conversations about them. So like she had mentioned earlier in the interview, if you know of someone or a family member that owns a business, make sure if they're hiring other South Asians that they're not taking advantage of, um, you know, their immigration status or 
the fact that they don't know what their rights are. So these conversations need to be heard. And like I've mentioned before, and I'll mention it again, uh, change starts with us. So you can sit there and complain on Facebook about how corrupt politicians are or how they're not progressive enough or wanting to include certain um, aspects in their policies. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing the same thing in trying to speak out about injustices you see in front of you or being upset about other groups taking advantage of the South Asian community, but at the same time seeing that happen within our own community, um, we're just as guilty. So that's something for us to really recognize and really start looking at ourselves from within because change really comes from within. So don't forget everyone, let's get educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Until next time.